If The Godfather was masterful and precise despite its famously harrowed production, the offer is amateurish and messy because of the way it uses its surefire assets. That's from Allison Foreman of AV Club. We're talking about The Offer. That's right. By the time you listen to this, five episodes will have aired. The sixth episode is airing this Thursday. I've seen all ten. Don't worry. No spoiler alert, but I'll tell you about the ten episodes. That is the uh, that is me flexing, as they say. Uh, that is our new review this week, The Offer, which is currently available on Paramount+. Plus, the story of the making of The Godfather. I'm even more excited to talk about our old movie this week because it's the 30th anniversary of The Crying Game, which I happen to reference when me and Cody were talking about Unforgiven. It reminded me of how much I love that movie, and I was like, okay, I don't think I've ever discussed it on Cinephile, 223 episodes, and I implored Chris. I said, please, you've got to watch this, and my guy came through. I did it. I'm excited to talk about it. It was... Uh... <laughs> It was really good. I'll just I'll start there. I'll elaborate later, but it was really good. You, you have yet to. Yeah. There's only been a few times where you're like, dude, you got to watch this. Yes, and you're always on the money with. This. I knew for the sake of our conversation, the entertainment value would be much higher if Cody had seen the crying game, which he has, just like with yeah. Unforgiven and High Anxiety. By the way, Lara Warwa messaged me, DM me. Uh, of course, her husband Todd, a good friend of mine, NHL Network producer, was like, "Hey, by the way, High Anxiety, love the review. Hitchcock actually consulted Will Mel Brooks in the script, so I wouldn't okay. even realize that. So a lot of High Anxiety fans." out there. I did not realize. Yes. Uh, and as far as our wild card is concerned, a lot of fans of this show. Better Call Saul, Patrick Fabian. He plays Howard on the show. He's great. Great on the show. A great guest today. So get ready for Patrick Fabian as he comes up momentarily. His co-star, Ray Seahorn, who I adore. It was her birthday last week. So I actually have her cell because when he had, we had her on Cinephile, she had wow. texted me after. But I didn't want to text her. So I'm friendly with her husband. So I texted her husband. I said, hey, wish Ray a happy birthday for me. He said, you caught up on Better Call Saul? I said, I am. And I was like, but, dude, I, I go, I'm so scared about what might happen to your wife and the fictional character. And he's like, I don't even know what happens. I'm like, what? You live with Ray what? Seahorn, Kim Wexler. You have no idea what happens? He goes, bro. Wow. I, I goes, I have no idea. Because I said, I have a pit in my stomach. Either she's going to die or go to prison. He goes, bro, for the same reason, I have no idea what happens. Could you imagine if your wife was on one of the most popular shows on TV and you and Chris Cody had no idea what happens in the show? That has to be the wife like saying, hey, let's watch this together. I want you to see it in real time. Like, Is that her getting joy out of watching him watch it like i don't understand why that i would be like i want all the spoilers tell me about your character i want to help you i want to help you prepare right. i want to be involved the entire process so anyways yeah. um graham her husband's a great guy also messed with me because i said hey i got fabian on the show this week he's like oh he's great he goes he's such a good guy that's why i consented to the fact that ray was able to live with two dudes while making the show i said it's an excellent this, point this guy the, my takeaway from this interview because i'm not even a big better call saul this is just a decent guy yes. he, he seemed like a guy you'd want to have a beer with yes a thousand percent. And maybe that'll happen yeah. one day. Because race Him and Mark Harris. Mark Harris will always be. No, Mark Harris is not our guy. Mark Harris is like, Mark, you're an incredible No, 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 no my bad. Yeah. Not Mark Harris. The other guy. <laughs> Who am I thinking of? Sam Watson is the guy. Yeah. Chinatown author. Which, by the way, we're going to get to. Because remember, Chinatown, produced by Robert Town. Robert Town produced The Godfather. I have plenty of Robert Town stories when we're going to discuss the offer. But... First and foremost, let's talk about John Apatow. We got amazing feedback. I want to thank everybody for listening. I sent it to a lot of people, which I know is very self-promoting and narcissistic, but I was like, listen, I know you probably don't listen to my podcast, but this is actually a really good episode, so I'm really happy. Thank you to all my friends who indulged me and listened to it. The big thing was when I listened back to it, at the time, Cody says, you sound great, and John Apatow said, you sound great, and I listened to it, and I go, I sound terrible. So, well, yeah, you don't sound, yeah. well, you sound great relatively. Yeah, I, I was like, next time... And hopefully there will not be an time I'm in the car, to be fair. But we're going to retract the questions. Because I knew all the questions in my head. I had rehearsed the whole thing. So I'm like, yeah. in, in retrospect, because I never talked over him. I never laughed at his jokes. So I'm like, we could have retract that. With your editing, nobody would have ever known. Yeah. 
but there's something about you talking about being in the car and like it, i'm serious yeah. though i think that there is like it was it felt more like a genuine conversation and a genuine interaction as opposed to yeah. it would have just sounded very robotic of like without that that's a fair I think point it was better that mark, mark simon he chimed in immediately he goes this is like the one time in a hundred you should have retracts so i went to dan stanzik he goes no i'm with cody i think it's more authentic this way it adds to yeah. the story you're in your car that's part of the joke so right. It's amazing, too, as my buddy Adam Amin said, he goes, you know, you, you really focused on Carlin, which, by the way, is coming out this weekend, so make sure you watch it, Friday and Saturday, George Carlin's American Dream on HBO. And he goes, and of course, you love Shandling, so you talked to the Larry Sanders show, and, and he goes, by the way, Simon and somebody else, my buddy Alpha was like, hey, Cody, good questions. Were those his questions? I go, those were 1,000% his questions. I had no input on those, particularly when I was gone with my overheated phone. Yeah. That was Chris Cody all the way, so yeah. good interviews. Well, I, knew you. You were gonna, I knew you were going to hammer the project, so for him, I wanted to go more just like big scope of like favorite scenes and yeah. like stuff like but that. But think about favorite scene. Like if I said to you, what's one moment from the Dan Lebertard show that exemplifies the show? I don't think you could do it. If you said to me, give me one moment in your career, I couldn't do it. For Judd to take your question and go, hmm, actually I think it's this one. Like he, he yeah. I, I was and shocked. And he picked a great scene. Yeah. And he picked a gr one of my favorite scenes. It was such a great choice by him. I loved that answer. But uh, yeah, I would do me in the car battery suit, waving my hands while Dan's yelling at an ESPN security guy that would be the the one scene i would choose to represent me, me scared for my life in a battery suit waving hands because dan's yelling at a, a guy behind the set of first take because they're like get get they didn't pay first take to be here why are you here and dan's like it's my set this is my studio i can do whatever i want around here Ugh. it was scary did we get on the main feed by the way i texted with you did. We, did. we did okay we did. so, the, so did. our numbers yeah. hey no offense to me no hassan we yeah. love those guys in yeah, we we're gonna kick your ass we are blowing you out of the water this we week skyrocketed yeah we, this we week. probably yeah, had hundred thousand yeah, yeah. listens this week Judd yeah, yeah. baby. and again thank <laughs> you to his crew i went back and checked the message they messaged me like again how good is his team they got my personal gmail address like somebody had yeah. to get my gmail address go hey he's got a new book a new movie and a new doc and in retrospect i didn't even think this far ahead i just said oh i'm most excited about george carlin so let's wait till may but it actually worked even better because we could talk about the book and the movie if i'd said yeah. oh the book's coming out march 17th i want to have him on march 17th yeah. well then we would have missed this other stuff so and judd retweeted our social clip do you think he did that because i begged their social <laughs> that was the best part email? so we email eliza eliza and i was like hey thank you again so much She's like no problem anything else you guys need so cody immediately hits back with hey thank you again so much if judd could have any sort of interaction on social media that would be much appreciated oh, i think i said engagement, engagement. I think I said and, and i messaged you i said you're just just begging for a retweet and you use one of my great Motown songs ever ain't too proud to beg and I, yeah. <laughs> the temptations of like yes Cody away to my heart I love my 60s music ain't too proud to beg and he also quote tweeted at one point because the video somebody yeah. said why are you in your car and he said I think because he was in the car it was even better so Judd was yeah. definitely paying attention yeah. to his social media. Yeah. He, uh, unlike Gary Shandling, he is monitoring his own tweets. Yeah. There's no question about that. Thanks again. Well, no, I think there, I think you misunderstood Judd there. Judd was saying he doesn't have social media people so he, he was himself. doing that. Yes. Oh, that's he right. Terry was. Because yes, yes, the way he yes. said it in the interview, he was like, no, he doesn't have social media. Right. And you got discouraged. Yes. But what he was saying is he doesn't have a team. Correct. You're right. So, so he Gary actually did responded. do it. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Right. You're right. I did misunderstand the time. Like, oh, my God. I'm like, no, no. He, he wrote back. Thanks. Hey, why would he have a team yeah. around him? And then he went. That was the best part. When he actually said, one second, guys. He went and got a book of tweets that Gary had sent. He's yeah. like, no, he was actually composing those he tweets. He even kept us waiting a little bit. I'm like, all right, Jeff, let's go. <laughs> so here's the question. Because I meant to follow up at that point. Whatever. It was 32 minutes and I was outside of the roadside diner does judd respond to his own tweets or do you think he has a person i think he responds. oh that was a thousand percent judd, him, for sure. yes. you, can, you can hear his personality yes. in the response 100 he was like this is embarrassing but i'll still share it 
like that stuff with like the first pitch stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's definitely him. All right, thanks again to, uh, and I think we're gonna have him back one day. I mean, listen, he enjoyed himself. Yeah, probably not. You don't, you don't, you don't think he'll ever come back? <laughs> that's terrible. By the way, you need to do me a favor because I, I love on the show. Of course, you guys always have the Hakeem Nicks laugh. You gave a great laugh. When I Ooh. asked him about the channeling, and I said, do you think there was something? He goes, no, he didn't have a social media team. You go, ah! You, you gave this kind of laugh. I'll see if I can replicate it. Ah! Like, it was one of those, well, like, Like, ah! I, misun- like I, I, misun- I misunderstood him, too, yeah. so I was, like, laughing. Got it. You oh, got to go back. I don't care if it's just for me, like, for a ringtone. I'll it's isolate a, it's it. It's a one-second isolate. It's, it's, I'm going to play it's- it right here. I'm going to get it in this episode. <laughs> okay. Let's play it right now. Okay, no, Gary did not have social media. <laughs> he did. He- Oh God, that is good. Ah! I tell you, that was, a, and I've never heard you give that kind of a laugh. Or normally, if you laugh, you laugh. This was like a ah, like it was like a, oh, like a ah. Yeah. It, was, it was a great laugh. Ah! I'm glad we worked that in there. All right, Judd Apatow was awesome. Let's get to some South Florida sports, okay? We'll get to the movies in a second, but bro, wow, I love this. Freaking Panthers go. win, Heat win. I don't want to slam the NBA. I just want to make a point. There was five game sevens this weekend. I watched as much of them as I could. I had to go to a wedding Saturday, so I actually missed the Leafs losing, which was great, which gets me to the most misunderstood thing of my entire life. The amount of people who think I'm a Leafs fan. I'm at work, they go, hey, sorry about your Leafs. They go, I'm not a Leafs fan. When Toronto blew famously a lead against the Bruins, and I was working with Rasillo the next day, each guest would call in in the midst of answering, like Andy Katz is talking college basketball. He preemptively would say, by the way, Adnan, sorry about the Leafs. And Rasillo's going, I, I've ne- Adnan, from the minute I met him, was like, I'm a diehard Flyers fan. Ron Hexel's my favorite player. I went to yeah. Boston 2010. So anybody who but thinks I are, care. But you are Blue Jays and Raptors, aren't right. you? Right. So I get that. They go, hey, you're I mean, from Toronto. The, so I get that. That's why. I mean, that's why. But to be I mean, clear, I was thrilled that the Leafs lost. I was laughing. Or are you off. one of those, are you one of these guys that will, if they like made a deep no. run, you'd be like, well, I'm from Toronto. No, no, no. So are you not, no, no. I, I always have disdain for the team. I've been so clear about it. One of my best friends, because again, I didn't grow up in Toronto, right? Maybe it's different. You might argue if you weren't in Miami, but you grew up three hours from Miami. I grew up in Kingston. Like it's a three hour drive. It's actually between Toronto and Montreal, right. and it's closer to Ottawa. Like, if anything, I should be a Senators fan because the Sens came about in <laughs> 95. I lived an hour and a half from Ottawa. One of my best friends is a yeah. huge Montreal Canadiens fan. So he's texting me. He's like, bro, this is sick. The city's like, you should see how pissed everyone is. They're so miserable. I'm like, ah, I wish I was there. Yeah. Let's go lightning. So, yeah. <laughs> and my wife's like, I've never seen anyone cheer against their hometown. I like, was it? It's not against the hometown. It's against the Leafs. So screw them. Back to South Florida. Panthers win. Giroux is going to try to win a cup. And the Heat win as well. Back to my original point. Five game sevens. Four games, I believe, were decided within one goal. You have one road team winning the Lightning, beating the Leafs. And you had an overtime game. I fell asleep last night. I'm I'm trying to watch the Flames game. I went to bed, Cody, 12.53 a.m. And I'd eaten everything in the house to stay awake. I had like four (laughs) chocolate bars, three chips. Like, I got to stay up. I got to stay up. Fell asleep. Uh. This morning when I woke up, I go, what time did the goal get scored by Johnny Gaudreau? 12.58 a.m. So five more minutes. And I packed on 500 calories. But I missed. And I'm so pumped for the Flames. I do some work with Sportsnet 960. I love those guys. Go Flames, go. Uh, two NBA games, last year's NBA finalists, lose by 28 and 33 points. The NBA games Wild. could not have been worse. The hockey games were incredible. That Suns result was so weird. Ugh. I mean, I know Luka's great, but that was so weird. I mean, the NF- and the N- NBA and NHL are kind of screwing South Florida fans, by the way. They put the Heat and the Panthers on the same night. What's the NHL doing? The schedule was out before. I don't know what the hell they're doing. I saw Roy tweeting about that, very profanely angry. And somebody said there might be a concert in Tampa that's impacting oh, yeah. things. Well, that's because there's a ba- that's why there's a back to back. Yeah, there's the back to back he was pissed about. Yeah. Games three and four, there's a back to back, and that's because there's some Kane Brown country concert Brutal. in Tampa. Hey, Tampa, you're in the playoffs a lot. How about you plan for it? I mean, jeez, <laughs> you've only won back to back Stanley Cups. 
I, but, but anyways, I'm not, I'm not going to let that down. It's honestly going to save me work because I like I've been going to all these games and now I'll just go to the Panthers ugh. game and I won't have like we'll send someone else to the Heat. So it's but dude, it's actually making it's making my work week yeah. a little less stressful. But I wanted to watch these games like by themselves. So but you you were this close away from being done. The Caps score that empty netter in Game Four. It's over. Instead, yes. you tie the game. You win Game Five. You're down three nothing. Let's score five unanswered. Game Six, a seesaw affair. Cardiac Cats. Let's go, dude. They've turned. They've turned back into the Cats. Just being resilient. They just look like themselves. The, the second half of this series, and it, it makes me feel better moving forward. Because those first three games, they just looked scared they looked like the the playoffs were getting the best of them so i'm i'm feeling good moving forward i think we're back and i gave you credit i was with ken danico yesterday with carter verhage i called him cardi v and because oh, i love yes. that and i go that's chris cody i don't even know if you came yeah. up with it but you tweeted it so i'm i'm going with cardi v which is great yes. I, i'm jealous please, i didn't come up with that please use that on nhl network i've been i used please. it yesterday i'll use it again and if, i thought you meant you know, privately on the air I'm i go so how happy. about carter verhage cardi v and I love Dano. He's Mr. Devil, but he's like, you know, 60 years old. I wasn't sure if he'd get the reference. He knew right away. He goes, oh, Cardi B. That's a good one. I go, Chris Cody gave me that one. Anyways, Cardi oh, B. Oh, that's so. so good. Wait, you said my name on I air? I said your name on television, yeah. Oh, let's go. Oh, I need to clip that. I, I need to clip that. <laughs> Chris Cody. Do you have access over. to that? Can you please clip that right, and send see, it to me? I don't I have access clip. to Financial Network. All right. That's, that's okay. I'll, I'll get it. It's on the tier two sports back. I got you. I'll go okay. get a clip of that for you. But listen, great news for South Florida sports. And let's be clear to go back to winning time. Fuck Boston. I mean, let's go Heat. I do not want to see the Celtics in the NBA playoffs. I hope your Heat sweep them. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, uh, Mike Schur, we've got a big group chat going right oh, now with Mike Schur. He must be an so insufferable be, Celtics fan. Oh, he's he's, he's he's giving it to us. He's, he's yes, it should Ugh. be interesting. Between him and Rosillo and Chris Mannix, I'm like, no, I don't need any Celtics. Let's go. I feel, Bill do you ever feel, are, are you ever find yourself in a, a group chat with like, I'm in this one with Mike Schur, Dan Lebitard, Mike Ryan's in there. They're all being witty and funny. Yeah. Not No pun intended. Witty's actually in there. Witty's too, awesome. Witty. But, it, I, I don't I don't contribute because I don't feel confident in any of my responses. Like I want if you're gonna throw in a response here, you can't just throw in heat and six. Like you gotta come in with something witty yes. and quit and like clever. And it's just like I feel too much pressure. I just watch. I don't no, I don't contribute. hundred percent. You know me in a group chat like that, I would just be all over the double clicks, right? I would be giving a lot of emphasizing the exclamation oh, yeah. marks. I'd give a ha ha, I'd give it a like. Yeah. So at least okay, Adnan's involved, but you're right, I'd feel too insecure. I'm like, if I can't match these guys' yeah. wit, I can't be involved with this. And then when I do finally say something, no one responds. That's what makes the group chat go dead for like four hours. It's just like, oh no, I thought I had something. It's like the hand the equivalent of a handshake of a dead fish. Chris now there's Cody's like a involved. side group chat about my response. Now there's a side group chat about <laughs> did you guys see Cody's response? Why in this group <laughs> That's chat not anyways. actually happening. The other thing I loved about this weekend is I, I'm big on having multiple options while watching television. So I don't want to just watch one game. I'm watching yeah. the hockey, then I flip over to the basketball. The basketball game was awful. I'm like, man, Chris Ball, Sun Stink, whatever. So I had to flip over to the Billboard Music Awards, and I had two takeaways. One, I mean, Megan Fox, who is like about as stunning as it gets, still with this guy, Machine Gun Kelly. Like yeah. I, I just, what do you mean? He's so he's cool, man. No, What's wrong? With look at the name, the Machine Gun Kelly. Like on a serious note, we just had this atrocity in Buffalo. Like, hey, maybe you go, hey, you know what? I'm gonna change oh, my name. Yeah, I'm not gonna be called true. Machine Gun Kelly anymore. What do you, what do you go by? That's Gun true. Gunner? Like, dude, 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 I'm known as Machine Gun Kelly. And also, I mean, I love Megan the Stallion because it makes me think of the Steve Martin joke last week from the Apatow interview, in which Apatow denied Steve Martin denied Apatow interview, and later signed it and goes, "I did not realize you were the Judd Apatow." Every time yeah. I just think of Megan. The Stallion. I did not know you were Megan The Stallion. <laughs> that, that, that is 
This is what Steve Martin would say to her if he ever were. Or the Megan Thee Stallion. Megan Thee Stallion. If ever he was a again. Also, in our celebrity news, I love Chris Rock. He still has not addressed the Will Smith issue, but he did tweet out one of his stand-up shows. I guess he said it. Somebody tweeted it out. He said, hey, me too is taught us you always believe the woman. Unless that woman is Amber Heard. I mean, just continue. Just, just everyone thinks she's nuts. Everything she's saying is crazy. And another private marriage, apparently, for the Kardashians. Courtney marrying Travis Barker. Who, yeah. all these girls are like, they're so hot. They're all in the black guys. She's the only one that's like, no, I like white guys. I want a heavily tattooed guy. I, I, his head I, is I, a hey, tattoo. That is my guilty pleasure, watching the Kardashians. I'm so glad they're on Hulu now and they can curse. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I, I've watched the first four episodes. I believe the fifth one's out. I got to catch up. Yeah. It's it's really I, I there's just something about it. It's bad television, yeah. but I just love it. I love it. I, I, and they're a great couple, by the way. They're a little a little public. They 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 yeah. they they're into the uh, PDA. PDA. I was like trying to find the acronym. Mm. They're into that, and that's a little you know people get annoyed by it. But they're in love. I'm happy for Courtney. Right. But he's like he's isn't his whole body just a giant tattoo? Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> do it for me. But hey, teach their own admin. <laughs> I can imagine you or me just like a face tattoo. I'm actually <laughs> tatted everywhere that my clothes cover. Right. Like if somebody said to me, is Cody tatt- tattooed? I'm like, I guarantee you Chris has a tattoo. I also don't think I, it's visible like on his, you know, yeah. bulging bicep. Lower ba- it's in my lower back. Oh, no, I don't have I don't have a tat- I don't have any tattoos actually. I've thought about getting something with my daughter yeah. like on my back somewhere. But uh, yeah, I don't have any tattoos. You don't have a yeah. tramp stamp. You don't have a lower no, I back don't. tattoo. I've thought about it. Oh, I thought about getting the Panthers logo. The Panthers logo on my lower back. Just get for me Cardi V. Put it in the lower back. Yeah. If the Panthers go all the way, it's going to be great. Look at us. This is the longest we've ever gone without getting to our stuff. I, kinda, I love yeah, it. I, kinda, I want to have a little bit of an open here, and then we'll get into the movies. All right. Let's do this. The Open. The Open is about the offer. Oscar-winning producer Albert S. Ruddy's never-before-revealed experiences of making The Godfather. It's on Paramount+. Plus. The Godfather, as we all know, is one of the greatest movies of all time. So how could this not be a hit, a 10-part series showing the behind-the-scenes of how it all came together? So Miles Teller, who I'm a huge fan of, who, by the way, I'm going to DM. We do follow each other on Twitter. He's a big Philly guy. So I met him a couple of times, loves the Eagles. Flyers, I was like, he's a guy. Lindros, Legion of Doom. I'm like, all right, good. So I'm going to try to hit up Miles Teller. We did not get any response from Tony Rock. Hopefully, Miles Teller will reach out and respond to me. He's buddies with Rosillo, so maybe it'll work out. Anyways, Miles plays Albert Ruddy, who is the producer of The Godfather, and the story shows the early origins of the fact that he is a guy who had this idea for a show and said, that one's ever going to work. A comedy set in the Nazi concentration camp, oh, it's called Hogan's Heroes, ended up being a huge hit. So there was one unconventional hit, and then Albert Ruddy wanted to make The Godfather. The Godfather was a hugely successful novel at the time written by Mario Puzo, the author who felt it was a shame. He said, no, it's beneath me. It's basically fictionalizing the mafia. He did not think the story would work out. Instead, it was a huge hit. And by the way, he's played by Patrick Gallo. If you're a diehard cinephile fan, you know I've interviewed Patrick Gallo before because he played Tony Jack and the Irishman. I couldn't get Pacino, De Niro, or Scorsese on, but I did get Patrick Gallo. He's a great guy, and I'm glad to see him now back. He's playing Mario Puzo. Looks great. He's got the, 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 the chopped sideburns, you know, the big hair, the glasses, and he plays all these, you know, typical tortured writers. The guy's smoking, drinking all the time. How do I make the script him together? So Ruddy is working with him. That's Miles Teller. The producer, as always, brings in the writer. And the director is who else but Francis Ford Coppola. That's played by Dan Fogler, who's doing an excellent Francis Ford Coppola imitation. He's got the beard, kind of jowly, you know, very passionate what he's saying. Typical director, very stubborn and recalcitrant. So he's got his creative minds, and the stories about how they're coming together with the, the script. But, of course, they've got a real problem here. The mafia does not want a movie made about the mafia. 
And Giovanni Ribisi, who is virtually unrecognizable, he plays Joe Colombo, real-life mobster. And Ribisi, whenever I think of him, as my wife said to me, wasn't he the guy in Friends? I'm like, yeah, always a young-looking guy. Here, he, he, he literally has a voice. Jeff Pavier, one of my favorite film critics, long-time critic with the Toronto Star, he once said of Nick Nolte, he has a voice like a talking ashtray, which is an incredible line. In this show, Giovanni Ribisi has a voice like a talking ashtray. I can't imagine how much cigarettes and whiskey he was using just to get his voice as guttural as it was. But he's the mobster basically telling Ruddy, hey, you can't go make a Hollywood movie about what we do because what we do is crime and we can't have that fictionalized on the screen. So how does Al Ruddy figure out how to buy off the mafia or convince the mafia that he can make a movie about them? Well, one of the ways is to kind of make them a collaborator and say, hey, Joe, I'll show you the script. If you want to go check the script, you want to check some things for authenticity, brassy, fine. And the big one is this. We'll never use the word mafia. And one scene was pretty good. He's talking to one of the writers. He's saying, listen, no matter what, we can't ever use that word. We'll just call it the family. We call it this thing of ours. Okay, no matter what, no mentions of the mafia. Now no one will know. Exactly. Now nobody knows what these guys are up to. This organized crime syndicate. No, no. We can't just say the mafia. So the story is about Ruddy placating the mafia. This seems right up here. Can I just say before you get into it, this seems... It's a, it's a show about the industry, yep. which you love. Yes. It's about the Godfather, right. which you love. This seems like porn to you. <laughs> you, know, hang on, I so, you think this is like spanking the monkey for me? Like, this is disgusting. I think that Jeez. you're watching this, and afterwards you're like, honey, let's go. <laughs> you know, this is like an aphrodisiac or something. This is, this yeah. is the appetizer. <laughs> Well, there's no doubt it's definitely up my alley. It's The Godfather. And like you said, it's about the making of a movie, which I love. I love these stories, making of something. So the best part of it is, of course, the acting. Now, Miles Teller is very solid as Al Ruddy. He is that calm producer. He's always figuring out angles, how to get things done. As I mentioned, Coppola, obsessive artist. Uh, Rabisi playing the criminal. Colin Hanks, by the way, Tom's son, playing... Basically, the villain of the show, Barry Lapidus, who is this executive who doesn't like the creative choices they're making. And he says, let's make it shorter. And why do we need this stuff in Italy? And let's make the poster look like this. So Colin Hanks is essentially playing the bad. Chet Hanks, not in it. Uh, No, 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 Chet Hanks in this one. And that gets me to the single best part of the show. Matthew Good as Robert Evans is chewing so much scenery. He is absolutely fantastic. It helps if you know a little bit about Robert Evans. As I mentioned, he produced Chinatown, which we talked to our friend Sam Watson about. This guy is a legendary producer. Legendary. When you look at the stuff he did, whether it's Love Story or Chinatown or The Godfather. He's also very well known for being a man about town. If you think of the show Mad Men, you would think of Robert Evans being in that show. Permatan. The big sunglasses, unbelievable wavy hair, calls everyone babe, walks in with a cigarette, sipping a martini, and I've read his book, The Kid Stays in the Picture, which is brilliant, which was then made into a documentary, The Kid Stays in the Picture, and now you see Matthew Good, and let me tell you something, he is going for broke in this performance. There's nothing subtle about it, but I thought it was brilliant. I think he's so much fun watching him as Robert Evans, because he's not only, at times, delving into caricature, playing this larger-than-life character. Like, Robert Evans was so handsome, they're like, he should actually be a leading man. Like, why is he a producer? But he was a producer-slash-star, man about town, but he also shows his vulnerability, and the fact that in the book, he really displays the in fact, he was heartbroken when Ali McGraw cheated on him with Steve McQueen, of course, the great actor in The Getaway. So Good is showing a guy who at first looks like he's all swagger and style and, hey, babe, how are you? But there's actually a real soul to him. When he's heartbroken, you can really feel his angst and his sadness. So I hope Good gets recognized by the Emmys. He's phenomenal in the movie. What's also interesting is this. How are you going to get the actors to play real actors? Meaning who's going to play Marlon Brando? Who's going to play Al Pacino? 
So the guy who plays Pacino is Anthony Ippolito, and I wish there had been more of him. One of my criticisms of the show is this. It really focuses on Al Ruddy and Mario Puzo and Copeland Evans. It's all the behind-the-scenes people. They rarely actually show scenes from the movie. So there's only a few scenes. You have one, the famous scene when Marlon Brando is doing a screen test. By the way, the guy playing Brando is fantastic. I mean, you're playing arguably the greatest actor of all time. He's stuffing his mouth, you know, kind of getting the cotton balls in there. Can I make it sound more like Brando? Can I get the voice? And how he came up with the idea of the cat. Why is there, why is there a cat you're stroking? And the guy playing Pacino, he said it was so intimidating because he goes, as we all know, Pacino now talks like this. But back then he had the soft voice. You know, he's kind of talking like this. He had that Brooklyn accent. So it's really cool listening to Anthony Polito as Al Pacino, soft-spoken, timid, a little bit shy. You know, all the stories we know about the fact the studio did not want him. You know, Robert Evans wanted Robert Redford. He wanted uh, Ryan O'Neill. Who the, who the hell is this Pacino? He kept calling him five foot two, this guy. Nobody's ever heard of him. He looks too Italian. They're like, what? It's a movie about Italians. He's like, no, nah, he looks too Italian. We need like a Robert Redford, blonde hair, handsome guy. Put him on the poster. This guy's not going to sell posters. And of course, Coppola very famously said, no, Pacino's my guy. I'll fight for him. And seeing him kind of, like I said, inhabit Pacino's skin, all that insecurity is really cool. But I would have liked to see someone playing Robert Duvall and James Caan and all the other actors of The Godfather. You really only get glimpses of Pacino and Brando. It's more about the people behind the scenes, which gets me to the criticism of the show, which is they're really playing fast and loose with the facts. And there's so many nudge, nudge, wink, wink moments. It's like, it's a little bit too obvious at times. Like there's a whole section about a horse's head. Well, let's get a real horse's head. Where am I going to get a horse's head from? Like, okay. There's, there's a joke about a cannoli. I'm like, yeah, got it. When they go to Italy to meet the Apollonia character, she's referencing to herself, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, which is, of course, from the movie. And I'm like, well, this yeah. didn't happen in real life. There's a little too much of that nudge, nudge, witch, wink, which I think is a little bit frustrating. And also, let's be honest, a 10-part series, it's a little long. After a while, it gets a little repetitive. Each episode, it's almost like a sitcom. Al Ruddy now finds himself in a situation which he can't escape from. Columbo is putting pressure on him. Robert Evans is putting pressure on him. Brando's being a pain in the ass. How can he get out of this? Find out next week on Paramount Plus, The Offer. Like, each time they're stacking the deck. And then my biggest problem with the show is it's really giving all the credit to Al Ruddy. Like, I, I had to look this up and go, okay, what's the source material for the show? It's, it's done by Michael Tolkien, who's a very good writer, did the player, famously Robert Altman film from 1992. There's so much stuff about The Godfather, Cody. Like, you could take different sources. So what was this yeah. guy's source? Like, there's a new book called uh, Take the Cannoli, which is excellent. Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli came out last year. My boy Lombardi loves it. Like, did he use that book? No, no. You know what his source was? Al Ruddy. Al Ruddy told them all these stories and they made the movie. So when you're watching, it's kind of like when you watch The Last Dance. You go, well, obviously this is all, Jordan's responsible for everything. Pippin did nothing. So when you're watching the show, I kept saying to myself, okay, I'm a little bit tired of the deification of Al Ruddy. He probably did not get enough love in real life. That is true. If someone said you The Godfather, you go, Coppola, Pacino, Brando, Robert Evans, uh, Puzo. You would rarely get to Al Ruddy. So at times while watching the offer, you feel like it's Al Ruddy's way of yelling to the world, I deserve more credit for The Godfather. Yeah. Look how much I did. And maybe a couple of things he did come up with. Maybe the poster he did do. Maybe he did placate the mafia. But there's some things I'm like, that's definitely not true. I know Coppola definitely came up with that. I, yeah. I know that that's what Robert Evans did. And at times I was frustrated. I go, Wait, you're not giving Robert Evans any credit. He's just coming in here like, hey, babe, how are you? Sipping martinis like he's some drunk. Like, no, he was actually I, a really smart guy. They're hoping not everyone's as educated on yeah. The Godfather as you are. 
That's what they're hoping. Huh? That could be true. <laughs> but, this, but there's one review I saw. I started laughing. Roxana Haddadi, who said, repetitive for anyone who's seen the film and condescendingly didactic for those who haven't. I'm like, ouch. Which got me to the reviews. It's always fascinating when you watch something before everybody else has. And I'm like, is this going to be a huge hit? I'm like, I'm definitely enjoying it. But I don't know how many people have Paramount+. Plus. Like Chris said, unless you're like me, if you're a huge Godfather fan, if you love this stuff, are you really watching it? Is there buzz right now in America about the offer? And the answer is this. On Rotten Tomatoes, the audience reviews are excellent. So people like me are the ones watching it, 90%. The critics, not nearly as kind. It's like maybe 45% right now. So, hmm. and, and the review, the 48%, overstuffed with unnecessary subplots and cloying winks at showbiz history, this is an offer you can refuse. I'm like, wow. I'm like damn. I mean, we got our buddy now from Rotten Tomatoes. We got to send him a message. Go, hey, hey you got definitely a little on the nose there. Offer you can't refuse. So, again, I think it definitely is preaching towards those who like the show and like what it's about, but it's definitely not going to be for all. I'll read one more blurb here from David Fear, who read a review in which he really does not like the movie. Although I liked uh, the show, excuse me. He does quote Robert Evans, who I love. There are three sides to every story your side, my side, and the truth. And no one is lying. Memories shared serve each differently, which is a very, very good line there from Robert Evans. Uh, the biggest thing he says, kind of like to my point about Al Ruddy, he says, Ruddy was the one, we're told, who came up with the wedding scene as the opening. Ruddy was the one who insisted Coppola was the only director who could make it work. Ruddy was the one who dodged Mickey Cohen's bullets and made ethical compromises so they could shoot the Sicily sequences. Ruddy personally brokered every deal and insisted Marlon Brando be cast come hell or high water. Ruddy personally staved off a mob war and averted every possible disaster in the nick of time and possibly invented a cure for cancer and probably saved the whales. <laughs> a subplot involving a failed relationship shows he's got his demons and lovers, but look at what he's done. It's Genuinely surprising the credits don't list Miles Teller's co-stars as Ruddy's director, Ruddy's star, Ruddy's boss, Ruddy's <laughs> girlfriend, Ruddy's mob buddy. This isn't just a print-the-legend look at film history. It's a Ruddyography that turns a perfect storm of collaborators into supporting players in the making of The Rudfather. <laughs> that is fantastic. At one point, praising Teller, he said, this guy should be the next Robert Mitchum, so why isn't he? Ultimately, it's a very funny review, which he does not like, but I like this pitch that Al Ruddy did say to Charlie Bluthorn, who was the studio head, it's an ice-cold thriller about people you love. And that was how they got The Godfather made. I'm going to give it three beliefs, but again, to Chris's point, if you're not into The Godfather... Not sure you're really going to be into 10 hours of the offer. Maybe there's an offer that you can refuse. Do you want to get to the wild card or do you want to do our crying game review, which I can't wait? Let's do the wild card. All right, time now for the wild card. Patrick Fabian from Better Call Saul. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Better Call Saul is one of the best shows on TV, and that's why it's a pleasure to bring in Patrick Fabian, who is joining us to discuss Better Call Saul Season 6. He is a working actor for over 20 years, whose jobs have taken him all over the country and the world. I was amazed when I saw his credits. 100-plus IMDb credits. He's been on all the shows you love. Friends, NCIS, Will and Grace, Star Trek, Voyager, Saved by the Bell, The College Years, uh, Lucifer, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you name it. Uh, this guy has done it, but I am, of course, most enamored of his work on Better Call Saul, which I'm I'm very emotional about as it's nearing the end, but uh, so far off to a great start. Patrick, thanks so much. Welcome to Cinephile. Hey, thanks so much, man. You think you're emotional about it. I'm emotional. <laughs> so let's talk about Howard. I, I love the character because you've seen so many lawyers in shows before, but Howard's a little different. I like your body language. I like how he's kind of rigid. I like how he's very proper. I like the clipped delivery. I love his suits. Tell me about how when you first got the role from Vince Gilligan and how you kind of got through the character. They said to me in the very first scene, uh, Vince reminded me we were doing something and he just whispered in my ear. He said, you know, we hired you for you. So you don't have to you don't have to work too hard, which which made me a little alarmed because I'm like, oh, you mean I'm this asshole in a suit? Really? <laughs> but I understood what he was saying. We didn't have to push it. And so uh, those suits, which were made by Jennifer Bryan, my wardrobe person, that gives you like 90 percent of the attitude of Howard. You mentioned the walk. And I remember I think it was Cary Grant talked about. Um, he liked to be able to walk in a suit so it didn't break. And I sort of kept that in my mind when Howard walked. It also kind of looks like he has a bit of a stick up his ass. But, <laughs> but I think what it means from him, the idea of like there's a place, there's a way to behave in the world. There's a way to have manners in the world, both in business and personal. And I think the way he wears his suit and sort of walks out in the world with that being his armor sort of informs everything he does. Yeah, like I, I used to joke, there's like, you know, certain people, you can just imagine them wearing a suit to bed or wearing a suit first thing in the morning. And that's how I see Howard. Like, it's so crisp. And I just love like the white collar, white cuff. I love the slight pinstripe. I love, I love the cut of the suit. Tell me more about the exact suits. I'm fascinated by it. Absolutely, I will. So, so this is a bespoke suit, which in case you don't know what that means, that means they have, they've measured me inch by inch. And this yeah. suit made from my body, which is why it looks the way it does. And they've got a tie bar in it. They've got everything else going on. And the first time I put this thing on, it's got French cuffs. Yeah. So I've got, I've got you know, those, I've got cufflinks all the time. I'm, I'm so suited up. Every time I walk into any of those scenes, I always thought in the back of my mind, both as an actor and as the character, I have the most expensive clothes of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right about... Like just even how it's like almost like armor, like that's like kind of the, I mean, Howard, I think is a fascinating character because you're right. You see him a certain way, this, you know, oily, weaselly asshole who's like being a constant prick to Jimmy and Kim. But at the same time, you're right. It's his armor. Like you saw the fact he's seeing a therapist, like he's got, you know, his own issues he's dealing with here. So I'm like, there's a real emotional fabric to Howard that you're not really seeing, but you, I think are aware of, and you are playing it, but the audience isn't necessarily conscious of. Is that fair? Yeah, it is fair. You know, and actually the writers gave me the idea of him going to therapy a couple of seasons back. And I tried to get Jimmy to go to therapy, right? I'm like, you should go to therapy when I was dealing with Chuck being dead. Yeah. And Howard's still doing it. 
you know, two years later. Now, granted, how is the kind of guy that goes to therapy and finds inner peace and then puts namaste on his Jaguar? So <laughs> with a grain of salt, you know what I'm saying? Fine. He's actually showing up and doing the work. And I, and I love that. The writers have given Howard enough, enough things uh, to let him not just be this, this one-dimensional guy. I mean, to your point, look, Jimmy and Kim are the people who are, those meddling McGill brothers and that nasty Kim Wexler are ruining Howard's beautifully planned life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, let's talk about the fact that just, you know, where Howard first began and where he is now, because the, the power contract has completely flipped. And of course, he has no idea what Jimmy is doing, you know, scheming Jimmy right now, what he's doing. I mean, that scene where you're walking your car, the fact he is moving over the sign and the phone and like you have to just play it a certain way. I mean, do you ever want to just say to the writers like, hey, listen, can I ever get back to these guys once in a while? Like, how come Jimmy and Kim have to be so clever? And I'm the one getting put upon the whole time. Well, you're right about that, because like at the end of season five, but all of a sudden, you know, they're like, we're going to get Howard. I, I mean, in my brain. Right. So we're going to see a lot of fun scenes of Jimmy and Kim doing fun stuff. And the idiot who shows up at the end and goes, <laughs> how much uh, I'm assuming because Vince is such a perfectionist. I'm sure he's so detailed in his work, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some more ad libbing. Tell me about when the scripts first come, how much work is there as far as you guys? I don't want to say brainstorming or workshopping, but how much conversation over what the script is or are you just going by the page? Oh, you know, these writers are fantastic. Best writers I've ever worked with. And they, they labor in that writer's room to have everything right. And that means commas, exclamation points, how they say what they say. I mean, they write as Howard speaks, and that informs me how to play it. So we don't monkey around and we don't improvise, that's for sure. If we have questions or anything like that, the good news is that if before we get to the scene, uh, we can go ahead and talk to them and say, like, well, what about this idea or this idea? And we'll have a discussion. But for the most part, especially from my point of view, you know, I'm not a writer as it is. Hmm. I gift that's given me and I try and shine a little bit shinier. That's all. We're talking to Patrick Fabian. Better Call Saul. Season six is currently on AMC. Uh, I read Odenkirk's book, Comedy, 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 Drama, and he included a little bit of stuff about you and uh, Ray. The fact that you guys, I believe, all in the same house there while you were shooting. And I, I, I don't quote me. I think the way you phrased it was. Patrick and Ray are the, are the, I don't mean to use the word Gabby, but they're the more talkative ones. And I just kind of hang out and, and kind of listen. Is that a fair assumption? I just picture you and Kim Wexler chatting away and there's Jimmy McGill sitting there listening to you too. Uh, there was many a time, we, we, it was like a college dormitory, right? We have an entire house to live in, but instead we all congregate at the kitchen, at the right. kitchen table on the refrigerator after work. And, uh, you know, Ray Seahorn and I can get going. So we'll get gabbing and stuff like that. be listening and literally, It'll be a three-way conversation, and then all of a sudden we'll notice, hey, when did Bob leave? <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think he gave you props. I'll double-check the book. I'm pretty sure he gave you props for being a good cook. Is that true? You were the one cooking a bunch of the meals for the three of you? Yeah, you know what? I, I would cook a bunch of the meals, and, and mainly I was home earlier and stuff like that. But mostly what we did is we did activities. We would be hikers together. Right. So one of them would always have to be like, time to get up. We're going to go hiking up Sandia Mountain. And uh, it tended to be me, the first one up, saying, come on, <laughs> let's go. Cokes and those guys, good to go. I'm here in North Jersey, just outside New York. I know you're in California. You know, so many shows and movies are set in where you and I both live. So the fact that it's Albuquerque, New Mexico, like that's a very specific place. I love Bagman was that great episode in season five where obviously Odenkirk was stranded in the desert, him and Jonathan Banks together. And I used to always wonder, a friend of mine loved The Wire, as do I. And I said, man, the people of Baltimore, do they love the show? Or they're like, eh, the show kind of depicts all the crack addicts and crime and infestation we have. So I'm curious that you said that the locals there embrace the show. They look at the positives of it rather than maybe a negative reflection of a certain core element of society there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, look, Albuquerque is not like meth central. We're telling one 
you know what I mean? Let's not say that. That's not fair. And I don't think the show says that, really. There's just an element that they drive in with the story that happens to be there because of this location with the border and such like that. But, you know, in, in my respect, you know, it's like my parents, my parents watch this show hoping to watch a nice lawyer show that their son stars in. And then halfway through it, they're like, why are we in the desert again? What are all these doing in my son's show? You know, I loved Michael McKean. I thought he was unreal in the show. I mean, I, I think it's one of those shows that's gotten better each season. But I got to tell you, I want to go back when the whole show is over and go back and watch the way he portrayed that mental illness, that that condescending attitude, the smugness. I mean, just tell me about working with Michael McKean, because I thought listen, he's a great comedic actor. I know that. But as a dramatic actor, I thought he was amazing. He was amazing to work with. You're right. He's a mighty Michael McKean in my respect. You know, I, I get the script and I see there's a scene with me and Michael McKean in it. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be good because he's in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I would sit there. And of course, I'm trying to be in the scene. But I would be out of my head sometimes going, look at what he's doing. Look at what he's giving. He was so good at you know, having that, the, the electric disease that he had. Yeah. I don't even think the writers knew how good he was going to be with that. And I think it extended, uh, extended a season as soon as they saw how good of an actor he was with this moment, they're like, oh, we can take this further. And I think they did because of it. Um, he was a lot of fun to be on set with. One of the most intelligent actors I've ever known. I love telling this story because it's true. On set, Bob Odenkirk and Michael McKean would read hardback books in between their takes. They would sit there and read anything voraciously. And they were done with them. They would trade them. Now, I'm not saying Mando, Seahorn, and myself were taking selfies, but we quite <laughs> much as those two. You can draw your own conclusions. Oh, I love the idea of the fact there's still hardcover book, guys. I do that, too. I still go to Barnes & Noble and be like, why do you don't just, you know, go online, get a Kindle? No, I like to read the hardcover book. So I'm happy that I have something in common with those guys. That makes a lot of sense that you said they almost extended Michael McKean's character, because famously, as you and I both know, Aaron Paul was not going to last on Breaking Bad, and the writer said, no, this guy, Jesse Pinkman's way too good. He's got to be in the show. So that makes sense. I almost feel like Jesse stayed longer because of how good he was and uh, in this case, Michael McKean stayed longer because how rich and fertile that character was. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? One of the rare instances of filming, my final scenes with Michael were actually shot in sequence. When we're up in the office and I give him the check and I buy him off and I escort him out and all of HHM there is to applaud. And he goes down the stairs and I'm upstairs and he exits literally as a character. That's the last time I saw him. And on that particular day, I had to go to wardrobe upstairs. He got in the car because he was done and he left. And I didn't see Michael McKean for like a year after that. <laughs> it was really weird. And then when we come back to season four, we start off with this burned house. It was, <sighs> that's when it hit me. Oh, he's gone. And I was mourning him as a character, but mostly mourning him as a, as a friend and an actor. Cause what a scene partner. I was so, so for all the luck I had of being on the show and the gifts I've been given, uh, being able to work with him and ranks up there with one of the best. No, I love your sincerity and you're being very humble towards him. But again, it's like tennis, you know, as great as he is, you've got to be equally as great. You could be able to hit the ball back and, and lobby it back. So I think you guys are both making uh, sweet music together. I, I remember when Breaking Bad was finishing, I kept saying to my cousins, like, you know, in three months, we're going to find out what happens to Walter White. Like I've been waiting years for this moment. And now with me and my friends, I keep saying, we're going to find out what happens to Kim Wexler. And I'm like, you know, we were all having different ideas. So I'm like, maybe she goes to prison. Maybe she dies. Maybe she lives. Maybe she flees. I'm like, yeah, we don't know. And I don't want to know. Like, I, I, I'm just enjoying the journey as it goes. But for you, and again, I don't want any spoilers, but was there anybody like, I, I, I know you're going to divulge anything to friends or family, but can you even tell your wife? If your wife said, Patrick, just tell me what happens to Kim Wexler? Or are you forbidden? You can't say a word to anybody. I got real good very early on about not talking about it's it's Fight Club. You know, you don't talk about it. I don't talk about it to anybody. Literally, 
Right. So my wife doesn't know. Uh, I know, uh, 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 I was going to call her Kim, Ray, Ray, <laughs> her family about it. I mean, don't, we only talk to one another about it. I've gotten really good at being, a, I should be a politician because I'm real good <laughs> at and not answering it and talking for five minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, it's funny too. Like when Breaking Bad ended, I never thought I'd see Saul Goodman again. Now he's back. So I don't know what happens to Howard, but who knows? Maybe there could be a third incarnation. Maybe Vince Gilligan and Patrick Gold. You know what? Howard's getting his own spinoff here. <laughs> Dan, I'll give you Vince's number. Please suggest that. <laughs> Patrick Fabian, he is absolutely brilliant on Better Call Saul playing Howard. As he said, we got three more episodes left in the uh, bifurcated final season. Then a four-week break, and then we'll get back at it again. Uh, I love everything about Howard. Like I said, I think you take a character who could be a stock character, and you really kind of invest it with your own choices, your own style, and it's uh, it's a fascinating character, and it's a brilliant show, man. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate it. So the worst thing about the crying game is the song Boy George, which was a huge hit back in 92. It's really bad. That's one thing I was noticing. I was like, wow, this is not a great song. Like where I grew up, listen, outskirts of Kingston, Ontario, small town, 1380 CKLC, every 20 minutes, play the hits. Here's Boy George again with the crying game. I go, this song blows. Like I, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Just like, when can I get real music, real radio? And while watching the crying game again, it did remind me. I love the title, and it's a hell of a movie, but it's a bad song. Let's get to the good stuff, yeah. though. Agreed. The Crying Game is a movie that's almost, I don't want to say undefinable, but it's uncategorizable. And I remember at the time, that's why it was such a huge hit, because everyone's like, wait, what is this movie about? A British soldier kidnapped by IRA terrorists soon befriends one of his captors, who then becomes drawn into the soldier's world. Okay, sounds like you might have seen a movie like that before. But don't worry, there's twists coming. It's written and directed by Neil Jordan, and when this film came out, it was like a rocket. It was like, wait, have you seen The Crying Game? Like, the word of mouth for this movie, and nobody wanted to give anything away. And don't worry, I will give a big spoiler alert if it's been 30 years and you don't know what happened in The Crying Game. I'm not going to spoil it for you. But this is one of the most original screenplays you'll ever see. It won the Oscar Agreed. for Best Original Screenplay. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Stephen Ray for Best Actor, and we'll get to one of the other nominations in a second. But... I just want to go through some of the story and some of the lines in this movie. Because, again, no one's expecting where the story is going. You, you, you see it at first, and it's Stephen Ray, the main character, horrible hair. He's following Forrest Whitaker, an actor we all know. And at the time, well-known actor. He's there with Miranda Richardson. And you see him at a carnival, and he's pissing. And he says, I never pissed holding a girl's hand before. You're like, okay, that's kind of an odd thing to say. <laughs> Later on, he gets captured because Miranda Richardson's drawing him in. And at one point, Stephen Ray says with a thick Irish accent, poor horse suffering in there, which sounds like poor horse suffering in there. I'm like, okay, i got to put the subtitles on. Did you put subtitles? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Now, at one point, as he's captured, and you can see Stephen Ray's got a good heart, he's going to take Forrest Whitaker outside. Forrest Whitaker's desperate to take a piss. So he that is where they connect. That is the moment that they're like, we're going to be friends, you and I. He takes him when a you gra- <laughs> When you take my dick out so I can pee because my hands are tied behind my back, that's when I knew... You're a nice guy. You're not like the other guys. And Whitaker says to him, it's only a piece of meat. It's got no major diseases. After he helps and they, him. I love the detail on this scene. Like, it's not only he pulls his penis out, but at that point, Forrest Whitaker's like, I can't pee like this. I need to lean. So he, like, holds his arms, and, and Forrest Whitaker's leaning forward, peeing, and then he has to put it back. It's a whole to-do. They could have just had to take the penis out for their connection, but they did the whole scene. They saw it through. And then he even gives a joke as he's walking him back. Because, listen, I had a case of the clap two years ago. Crabs as well. But, of course, he's just saying that to make him a little bit frustrated. He then gives a story where they really, truly bond, which is about the scorpion and the frog. 
It's a very famous fable story about a scorpion and a frog trying to cross. And the scorpion's asking for a lift from the frog. He says, hey, let me just hop on your back. I'll cross you. It's all good. And while they're crossing, he kills the frog. And the frog, as they're dying, is like, why'd you do that? Now we're both going to die. We're going to drown. And the scorpion says, hey, I can't help it. You know, it's in my nature. And that's very yeah. important here in the movie. You're like, hey, okay, what does that mean? Why is that story so important? Later on, you can kind of see where this is going. Stephen Ray's going to have to be the one to kill Forrest Whitaker. Even though... Can I just say real fast, yeah. what a performance, because a lot of this part with Forrest, Forrest Whitaker, yeah. he's like, he's got a... The burlap he's sack. Got a, he's got the burlap sack over his face. But his best performances are when he's got just his mouth exposed. Yeah. Like, his performance... You could see the pain in his lips. I was so moved. It was the best performance by a mouth I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, I know it sounds funny, but it's it's the best performance by a mouth. I mean, Batman yes. is better than any Batman I've ever seen. I mean, I, I'm with you on Forrest Whitaker. He's great in this movie. And then there's a scene where, you know, Stephen Ray has to kill him. He starts walking him out, and he takes off. And I'm like, yes, he's yeah. making a mad dash for it. Stephen Ray chases him down. And then eventually he says, you wouldn't shoot a brother in the back, which I remember was in all the trailers. You wouldn't shoot a brother in the back. And then yeah. he gets hit by a truck, and the next truck steamrolls him. I mean, you talk about the worst luck ever. You just got caught captive yeah. by this guy. You run away basically knowing this guy's in his nature. He's not going to shoot you. But you got hit by the truck and run over. Yeah. Brutal turn of events. So, yeah. obviously, people were coming there to get the IRA. And By the way, he's so pissed at Miranda Richardson. I mean, that scene was great because he, he realizes she's the one that drew him in here. He spits in her face, calls her a yeah. It's horrible. Anyways, yeah. Stephen Ray, he's got some guilt here, okay? He liked this guy. And while they were bonding, he said he was telling about his girl, his, his, his girl back home. Hey, go check up on her. Where's the bar she's at? So, Stephen Ray goes and checks out the bar. He goes there. I'm sorry, first thing he goes to get a haircut. Actually, he's a hairstylist. And he gets a hairstylist first, then he falls her to the bar. Goes there. A really playful scene. Jim Broadbent, the known British actor, is playing the bartender. And they're having a conversation through the bartender. It's really well written yeah. by Neil Jordan. At one point, she's saying, what do you suppose his name is? And he goes, oh, I have no thoughts on the subject. And eventually, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's really clever dialogue back and forth. Yeah. And eventually, she'd say, you know, my name is Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Really sweet scene. And so, you know, he starts to kind of fall for a little bit. And there's a great bit of an unintentional comedy alert because he's having flashbacks of what's happened and he's seeing Forrest Whitaker in cricket yeah. garb in slow motion yeah. coming towards him. It's meant to be emotional, but it's a great unintentional comedy moment. Later on, and again, he's kind of talking, they know a little bit, we see where this is going, but some guy keeps this grabbing Fer him. This Fergus. This Fergus is his character's name, yeah. So Jim Robin at one point says, there's something I should tell you about her. And he says, what? And he goes, uh, she's on. And boom, she's on, she's doing the crying game. Okay. Later on, they're fooling around a little bit. She blows him. And he tries yeah. to put his hand up her pants. She, she pushes him away. And he goes back to the Forrest Whitaker slow-mo. Like, just in, incredible, unintentional yeah. comedy. She's blowing him, and he's picturing this guy running in his cricket garb. Later on, though, they start to kind of fall in love. And you can see his connection to her because he feels guilt, and he's entranced by her. And she's wondering who this guy is and what's he all about. And so we're going to get to the spoiler alert. I'm going to give us two minutes here of spoiler alert. So if you want to flip ahead two minutes, you got your two minutes right now. If you don't know what happens in the crying game, you should all go watch it. Chris just watched it. I just watched it. It was on HBO. You can go check it out easily. It was bullshit what Fergus did, okay? He goes to this town after this man that he connected with dies, okay? This guy dies. He's like, I'm going to go. He told What Forrest Whitaker told him to do was go tell her that Jody loved her. Yes. So this guy is now on a mission. He's like, this guy died. I'm going to go across the country, across the pond, and I'm going to tell this woman that Jody loved him. And what does he do? He just falls in love with her and moves in and never tells her about anything. There's another twist coming. You can give the other twist. Yeah. But that, before we even get to that twist, I was like, this guy came off so nice. Right. 
Fergus. He's going to do this nice thing. And he gets there and he starts thinking with his penis. And he's just like, now I just want to get laid. Screw what I came here for. Screw Jody. I want to get laid. I was so angry at, at Fergus. Like, before we learned any of the twist you're about to say, yeah. I was just like, what a bullshit move. And this is a unique take because he's, he's dealing with the guilt. You think he's going to go there and say, listen, your man was a good man. I was a friend of his. You know, you're not going to confess. Obviously, you're not going to go to prison. If you, tell her first. If you guys end up hitting it off, connecting over that, that's one thing. Yeah. Go do what you went there to do. Be the good person. And then whatever happens, happens. Wait, the wait, guy's wait, gone. Wait, wait, I get what do you want him to say? I was in the military with the guy. Jody was a good guy. Yeah. Spoke about you a lot. Just make up a story. At one point, he's like, if, you be- if, I, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Like, he tries to do it. Yeah. Because the guilt is in that. I was just like, I was. You you thought this was moving of him to like move in on this? I wouldn't say it's moving, girl? but I think the fact he's falling for her, you can see how he's so conflicted. Oh, he's so he seems to be genuine and sincere. Your question is sincere. And then there was another twist. So then they're fooling around their place. They go back there. And this was the scene everyone was talking about in 1992. If you were a fan of movies, you'd say, hey, did you see the crying game? Did you know what happened? And they're in there fooling around a little bit. They go in the bedroom, and the shot's on her. She takes her clothes off. The dress is off. The camera slowly pans down, and boom. It's a shot of his dick and balls. And you're like, oh, my God. And she says, you did know, didn't you, Jimmy? I'm sorry. I thought you knew. He's like, oh. (laughs) He smacks her as he runs out of the room. And he's retching violently in the sink. He's just throwing up. And she says, it's funny how things go. It's never the way you expect that. An absolutely jaw-dropping scene in the crying game. And then the next scene where they're back at that bar, all of a sudden it becomes very clear that it's like a bar for transgender people. And so, but like, you don't, they don't show you that on the front end though. (laughs) On the front end, the first scenes in the bar, they don't make that very clear. Right. So like, you don't necessarily know. And then that happens, the twist, and it's just like, wow. Like, right, because then she says to him, what were you doing here? And you're right. Like, well, I, well, now that I noticed, I mean, there's 30 people here all in drag. I'm like, right. okay, well, yeah, it was, it was kind of a quiet night when I first came. Yeah. And it, it serves him right, though. If you would have just gone there and did what you were supposed to do, you wouldn't have got yourself in this, in this mess. But then you get a great moment because it goes to Forrest Whitaker this time in cricket garb smiling. Laughing. Laughing yes. at him. I'm like, yes, yeah. that's Forrest Whitaker getting him back. And then he gets a, a visit from Miranda Richardson because not everybody from the IRA clan uh, escaped. There was a big assault on them. She's still alive. And of course, she wants what's coming to her. So she comes and shows up at his place. Now she's got a little die job. And she says, fuck me, Fergus. I take a hit. That's a no. And then later says to my son, I suppose a fuck is out of the question, Fergus. She's looking to get laid here. And he's like, no, he knows what she's like right now. I think this spoiler alert might be a little longer than two minutes. Okay, now we're at the three-minute mark. So the spoiler <laughs> alert, I'll, I'll do it. It was the three-minute and 12 seconds. Now we're done. We're back. If you're listening now, don't worry. I'm not spoiling anything. So now they want to get Fergus back to do the original job, which is, hey, you work for the IRA. You're going to go kill a judge. And if you say no, well... We're going to kill you and kill this girl you're dating. She's like, oh, how about this cute little black girl you're dating? Oh, you're really crazy about her, huh? Yeah. It it leads to what is a very dramatic finish, and uh, it's unexpected. And that's why I love movies like this, because you could never expect this movie to go the way it goes. But Fergus finally tells Dill, that's the name of the woman, he finally tells her when she's hammered. It's like, now you're going to be honest when she doesn't, she's not, I mean, she does end up remembering it. But so, only bits but of it, at, right? At the moment, she's. But a at the yeah. time, I'm she's like, dude, now it. you're telling her. Yeah. Now you're telling her when she can't. She's been hammered all day. Yeah. It's just like, oh, whatever. Then, it was a really good movie, though. Cause, really good. Because then Dill's mad at uh, at Jody as well, because she's saying about Miranda Richardson. She used her cute tits and ass to seduce him, because of course she does not yeah. have that. So that's why she feels yeah. insecure about that. And I love how, how Fergus looks at the picture of Forrest Whitaker and just says at the end, "You should have stayed at home." 
You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. you just stayed at home, none of this would happen. It's a good lesson yep. in life. You know what? Yep. Stay at home sometimes. Take a knee. Great musical choices by Neil Jordan. The movie starts when a man loves a woman. Great song by Percy yes. Sledge. And the movie ends, closing credits, Stand By Your Man, with the line, Sometimes it's hard to be a woman. Give your love to just one man. Very, very good musical choices. One hour and 48 minutes, a movie unlike any you'll see, The Crying Game. I highly recommend it. I remember Siskel and Ebert went crazy for it. Like, you gotta see this movie. Which gets us back to the spoiler alert. If you hadn't seen the movie by the Oscars, it was then spoiled by the Oscar nominations because it's nominated for Best Picture, Neil Jordan, Best Director, Neil Jordan, Best Screenplay oh. once, and Best Actor, Stephen Ray, Best Supporting Actor, Jay Davidson. You go, wait, what? I, I, uh, uh. Yeah. And then you actually knew exactly what the movie was about. So at that point, it was spoiled. <laughs> I, it was rare to see. They actually show the penis, too. It was rare to see a penis in, in the early 90s. This is what I'm saying. 1992, close up right there. Like, not flaccid or anything. It wasn't erect. It was just like, oh, there it is. Bam. You're like, oh, my God. This is. And, and listen, on a serious note, like, I'm pointing out some of the humor they use, the fact that this guy does not know he's with a trans woman. But I think that was, they should get credit for kind of dealing with this issue early on. Like, the fact, at one point, Dill says, I can't help who I am. Right? Yeah. Like she's like, this is who I am, and this is how I'm proud I am. Because ahead of its time. I think ahead it's very time. much ahead of its time. This is 30 years ahead of when trans issues were even discussed. It was like a punchline, right? It's a joke, and Ace Ventura, you know, uh, you know Einhorn is whatever yeah. the hell with that line. She's a man, right? Um, jokes yeah. from Austin Powers, she's a man, baby, all that kind of stuff. Like, at that time, these kinds of issues were played for jokes. The crying game actually used it, I thought, in a very intelligent manner, very mature manner. They still kind of had a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. They knew, they knew what the joke was, but at the same time, it was still very artfully done. A movie unlike you'll see. I'm so glad you saw yeah. it. It was really good, man. The crying game, baby. That's our look back, 30th anniversary. All right, thank you so much to Patrick Fabian. Thanks to Chris Cody. Thanks to the entire crew. Thank you for supporting Cinephile. Please go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. And make sure you check out The Crying Game and the offer on Paramount+. Plus Next week, in honor of Better Call Saul, they're now going to hit the midway point of the final season. So it's going to be six or seven episodes that have aired. They're going to take a break for four weeks and then come back for the final few episodes. So next week, I'm going to talk about the new season of Better Call Saul. The new season of Barry, which by next week will have been five episodes on HBO, the terrific show from Bill Hader, and thoughts on Severance, which is the show from Ben Stiller. Uh, that's currently on Apple Plus. So heavy TV next week, and after that we're going to get the movies. Top Gun's coming out. All the big summer movies are coming out, so we're going to get back and all that stuff. So lots of great stuff coming up here on Cinephile. Until then, I'll see you at the movies.